Hi, Forge family. Before we start on episode number four, I want to do a quick review of the last one. If you recall, that was where Isaac secretly set out to bless Esau, called him in privately, but uh, Rebecca heard it through the wall of the tent, through the fabric wall in the tent, and she sets out to interdict this secret blessing and gets Jacob to obey her commands, and together they deceived Isaac so that Jacob got the blessing and it matches with the birthright that he got from Esau. Now, as Jacob leaves the presence of Isaac, Esau arrives with his pot of, of uh, wild game that he has um, prepared for Isaac. And Isaac says, who, who are you? And then he realizes he's been deceived and he shakes and trembles in a mighty way because what was supposed to be the pinnacle of his life has collapsed around him in dust. And he realizes he has blessed the wrong son. But then he comes back and says, not only have I blessed the wrong one, but he will be blessed for sure. Indeed, he will be blessed. Uh, Esau is enraged and he cries out and he asks for any blessing at all. And the only thing that's left is an anti-blessing. And, he's, and he walks away, and what forms inside his heart is really the same thing that forms in the heart of Cain, which was a murderous intent to kill his brother. Now that becomes known to Rebecca, and she sets in place uh, a scheme to move Isaac to send Jacob away supposedly to go get a wife from the family compound back in Padan Aram where the rest of the family uh, related to Abraham still live. Now you see here this horribly dysfunctional family that has gone through uh, deceit and lies and deception and finally down to a murderous intent. And at that point you want to zoom out. You want to pull back and you say, God, what are you doing? And you see that God is establishing his rule and his ways with chosen elect people, even from the womb, uh, with men and women who, he, who, who do not even know him yet. Uh, Jacob is only the third generation of people who have had any dealings with this God. And, and he remembers his father being blessed when they went to Gerar in the middle of famine season. But that blessing has never approached him, and God has never approached him personally, and so he's just making it up as he goes along. So now, at the end of that last episode, Jacob has to flee. He's, he is supposedly going off to Padan Aram, 400 miles to the northeast, to find a wife in the, in the family group. But he's, he's also fleeing to get away from the wrath, the murderous intent of Esau, and to get away from the Canaanite culture. So as we begin episode number four, what I want us to do is reflect on Proverbs 16, verse 9. And it says this, The mind of the man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. So here's, here's Jacob. He's been blessed and sent 
And he's on the way north. He's reversing the pattern that Abraham did 125 years before. Abraham walked into Canaan through the same routes going south. Now, here's a 77-year-old grandson who heads north. And he's had a couple of days of forced march because he's moving quickly. He's changing He's changing um, his position frequently, and he's looking over his shoulder. You see, here's a man, Jacob, who was raised in tents. He was a man who stayed with the family. Who, who the, you know, remember the four or five times they had to pick up and move camp to go get another well, to leave the region because of the Philistine shepherds, because of the, the command of, of uh, Abimelech to leave the Philistine areas. And, and he had worked his way uh, into the heart of the family to make it prosperous. But he was not an outdoorsman. He was not someone who was a game stalker. He did not know how to stalk uh, animals as you move upwind toward the animal, to hide your profile, to, hide, you know, to cover your sound. To, you know, all those things were his brother's provenance. And his brother was the supreme uh, killer in the outdoor world. And he was not. And so all of a sudden, he's aware that as I, as I move quickly north, my brother might be coming up behind me. And so he's had two days of looking over his shoulder. And finally, he arrives at a, a no-account place. Really, it, it's a, the text of the scripture says, literally, it's no particular place. And this word place occurs six times times in this passage and he's tired the sun is going down he's not around people he's intentionally chosen a a remote site to get himself down flat on the ground for the night and so he he chooses a rock in that place for a pillow a headrest and he he lays his head down and he falls asleep and it says in that place that jacob dreamed There was a dream, a powerful dream that came on him. And in the dream, he saw a ladder. That's the literal translation of the Hebrew text. But it could also be a word for stairway. And it was placed, it says it was placed toward earth. Now, this is the reverse of the the Babel uh, ziggurat. Remember when... When mankind rebelled against God's orders to uh, go go across the earth, multiply, fill the earth, they chose to gather together and build themselves a tower from the earth to heaven so that they could be in ascendancy. They could rise to the level of God. This is the reverse. This is God who reaches to earth with this image of this ladder, this stairway, and on it are angels ascending and descending, the messengers and servants of God rising and and, uh, going up and down on this staircase. Now here the language in the text shifts radically from the descriptions and from the angels, and quickly it focuses on the Lord. And it says that he was literally standing beside Jacob in the dream. If you go look at the text, it says, well, he was standing beside it. But the the sense of the text really is, if you take it apart, he is beside Jacob. Jacob is sleeping, and then the Lord begins to pour out in the dream. uh, Starting in verse 13, it says, And behold, the Lord stood beside him 
and said, I am the Lord, the God of your father. Now here, God uses his name, Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. Now, uh, it, that makes it a, a heightened sense that he is really longing to communicate with Jacob. He says, I'm the Lord. I was the God of your father, Abraham, and of Isaac. And this land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. The word descendants literally is seed. Here's a man who's on his way to get a wife. He, he's, he doesn't even have a wife yet. And the Lord says, no, I'm going to give it this land that you're lying on to the children that are going to come from your loins. You know, you, you are going to get married, you're going to have children, and I'm going to give this land to them. Your descendants also shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out to the west and the east and to the north and to the south. The word spread out means to break out. It, and it's literally to break out with force, with militant precision. And it prefigures that, that time that's coming in the history of Israel when the, the nation of Israel comes up from Egypt, circles around Sinai for 40 years, and then they go into the land. And the wars of Canaan, the wars of liberation of the land, where they break into the land and sweep over the Canaanites and take the land. That's what's being, being prefigured in this statement. And literally, he says, and, the, and your seed, and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And behold, I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. End of dream. It says in the text, and then Jacob awoke. He comes to his senses. He awakes. And, and he goes, how awesome is this place? Better translation would be, how frightening is this place. You know, God's communicated with him. God has blessed him. But wherever mankind comes in contact with the living God, uh, there's dread. There's fear. Now, granted, there's also that, that sense of grateful wonder and the emotions of reverential awe. So all three, wonder, awe, and dread, are wrapped up together, and so it's it probably is more rightly stated that where he says, "What a what a, a frightful place this is." Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. There's none of this is none other, none other than the house of God, and he renames the place, and he calls it Beth El Bethel. Okay, today, north of Jerusalem, up, up that ridge line, north of Jerusalem, there's a traditional site that um, uh, one of the, the villages in Israel today believes, well, that's, that's, this is where Bethel was. But it was obviously uh, up on the high places. So to the left and out in the haze would have been the Mediterranean Sea. And to the right, down in the Rift Valley, is is the Jordan running toward the Dead Sea. And on top of that place was where God chose to break in on this refugee, if you will. He's someone who is fleeing his brother. He's fleeing Canaanite culture. He says, oh yeah, I'm going to get a wife. 
So he rises, Jacob rises, takes this stone on which his head had rested, and he sets it upright. He tips it up like a pillar, and he pours oil over the top of it. Now, any time in the scriptures where you do that, where you consecrate something, you dedicate something, you set it up for the purpose of honoring the presence of God in that place. That's what he did. Now, this was not the Canaanite stand up a pillar as a, a, a phallic symbol. This was not the Canaanite place to honor their deities. Um, in fact, when the Lord said you, you, the people sent the people into the land, he said, you pulverize those, you crush those, you pound those into pebbles, and you don't make those kinds of, of uh, set, you don't set up that kind of stone, you know, because I am with you, you don't need a stone to remember. So in the calling of that place, Bethel, what? Jacob does is he acknowledges that the Lord has come and he has come near. For the rest of the time in scripture, Bethel is known as a place where people can get access to God. Bethel is a place where people come to worship God. And some of our character, uh, charismatic brothers and sisters speak of Bethel as one of the thin places on the earth where the presence of God is so near, where heaven is near to earth. Jacob names this place Bethel, the house of God. And in doing so, he um, gives honor to God. And the presence of God is, the, what, is what takes away the, the, um, the title papers that says this place previously was known as Luz, one of the Canaanite cities. But because God appeared in that place, for the rest of known scripture, it isn't Luz anymore. It's Bethel. Now, Jacob responds with a vow. It's the longest vow in the Old Testament. And it's one of those, if you do this, then I will do that kinds of vows. Now, realize, God, is, God meets us where we are. He meets Jacob exactly where he is. This is the supplanter, the deceiver, the grabber. And so he's not surprised. God is not put off at all. By this vow. See a vow is not a contract. It's not a hard and fast set of agreements. It's rather uh, a reordering of priorities. And in this case. Jacob is saying. Um, God if you'll be with me. And you'll keep me. And you'll feed me. And you'll, and you'll make sure I have garments to wear. And I return in, in peace here. To my father's tents. And if the Lord will be my God. Then, then, this stone that I have set up here and consecrated, this will, de you know, this, uh, this is a place that will be God's house. And I'll come again here to worship. And all that I've given, I will give back to you. To it literally says to thee. You know, there's a shift in the conversation here where Jacob begins to relate to God in a different way. He now speaks to him in a much more personal way. He says, all that you've given to me, I will surely give thee a tenth. And so there's that sense that, you know, like the ancestors before him, um, and in other ancient Near East situations, uh, to deities, to kings, 
And as Abraham did to Melchizedek, who was a priest king, a tenth of all went to them just to honor them and to say, I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. Here, it's because of you. And the tenth goes back. So what's happened here? Okay, he starts out to get himself a wife. At least that's what his father had sent him off to do. Blessed him and sent him off. He was fleeing from his the murderous rage of his brother Esau, and he's leaving Canaanite culture behind. Notice he did not go into Luz, the city. He stayed outside of town. He stayed out in a rocky you know, slope somewhere outside of town. And in that place, he encounters God. Maybe it's the other way around. God seeks him out. God was there waiting for him. Okay, and in a, in the flash of of a, a one night's dream, it is no longer a flight away from, but it is a journey toward something. It is a journey that he's going to walk out with this God of his dream. It is a journey to walk out his vow with this God. Now, there's also a further shift here that we need to note. The grabber in Jacob, the one who has feathered his nest. It's, it's interesting. Derek Kidner, in his uh, material on Genesis, speaks, said, you know, this man who had feathered his nest was cast out. He spent 77 years getting ready to inherit all of it, and now none of it was his. He had very limited resources. Okay, And the grabber that he had been is now committed by vow to be a giver. So here in God's presence, God shifts the location. It's not Luz anymore. It's no longer just a nothing place. It's Bethel, the house of God. So for us, think with me about what God's presence does to us. When we're alone, we're afraid, maybe we're running from something, he comes. And he is the one who can turn a rocky, nothing place into a sanctuary. It's a place where he encounters you, he interdicts you, he meets you on the way, where life is hard and it's not understood, and you're alone and afraid and vulnerable, and he's there. And he's there because he's in charge and you're supposed to worship. Now, in Kronos time, that, that just means clock time, if you will. In the natural, the natural perception of time, our character appears and, in, and it's developed and it's confirmed. And in that passing of time, our character gets prepared. The other question is, prepared for what? Well, it's prepared for crisis time. And in crisis time, we get to call on him who is right next to us. And and at that point, we need to expect that our life and its priorities and its values are going to shift. Just like Jacob's. Okay? Jacob is on his way to a character change. Jacob is on his way to being one who wrestles with God and prevails. 
Now, if we respond in faith to those crisis things, in crisis time, you know, and that we have a, we lean in on the Lord. We, we press in and we say, oh God, help. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what's waiting for me next. I know what's behind me. I'm never going back there. What begins to flow to us and through us and from us is fruit of the Spirit, His peace, His joy, His patience. And and with that comes an opportunity for us to recognize that when we press in on Him, who is right beside us in that crisis, we get to see what the eternal significance of that might be. Some of that we're not going to know. We'll find that out later when we're in his presence in eternity. So as I was closing off this epistle, the Lord prompted me with another scenario. You say, but, but Dick, I'm, I'm not Jacob. I haven't lied. I haven't stolen a birthright. I haven't deceived anyone. But man, is this hard. I'm, I'm out in, the, in seemingly in a wilderness. And I'm, I am in a rocky place. Nothing's working right. And I'm longing, longing for a word from God. Now, maybe you're seeking a mate. Maybe you're seeking scripture for revelation, for, for a word from, from the Logos, that the Lord would open the scriptures to you. And that just isn't happening. But you're requiring, you know, you're, you're inquiring of him, please, Lord, open what you have for me next. In that rocky place, in that lonely place, in that vulnerable place, where is the Lord? He's standing beside you. And he comes ready to bless, ready to renew, ready to refresh, ready to promise his presence and his care until he's done keeping his promises to you. Rocky places there become a sanctuary as well. So that said, Forge family, turn to him, worship him, obey him, and rejoice in the Lord. Father, we ask that uh, if there's more here in the text, you'd make that plain. You'd keep teaching us. All right, Forge family, we'll see you soon. God bless.